understanding the core need to promote economic empowerment because mm -hmm. from the different work I've seen there's just so much potential when you allow and when you provide women the economic access and the economic means so they can decide for themselves and really also make their contribution not just for their family but also in the communities that they belong to. Hello and welcome to SDG Stories. SDG Stories is a podcast where stakeholders in the Nordics and in the Philippines share their best practices on challenges to working with CSR, sustainability, and the sustainable development goals. Knowledge sharing is a powerful tool in the transition towards sustainability and towards a better world for everyone. SDG Stories is an in-depth talk with people who make a positive impact on how to go from idea to result so you can get inspired. Today I'm talking to Rosalind Messina, Country Program Manager for We Empower Asia within UN Women. We dive into SDG 5 on gender equality and SDG 8 on decent work and economic growth in the Philippines. We focus on how gender equality and economic empowerment of women is instrumental to reaching the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. We discuss how women are expected to do unpaid labor at home, taking care of children and elderly, while also doing productive work as employees. Then we also explore how We Empower Asia is collaborating with the private sector and financial institutions to create awareness on gender equality and how to make businesses mindful about their supply chains. Lastly, we also talk about the impact of COVID-19 on women in the Philippines, as well as the challenges and opportunities of Filipina migrant workers. First of all, Rosalind, thank you for having the time to talk to me today. Um, could you please be so kind to talk a little bit about yourself? Just an sure. <laughs> yes, so my name is Rosalind Messina, but everyone, especially in the nonprofit sector space, calls me Len Len. Well, it's very um, common to Filipinos to have a nickname. I have been a development worker for over 20 years now, starting mm -hmm. with the work with migrant workers, doing research about how and what their specific needs are, trying to understand their stories, then mm -hmm. work to join uh, an organization called the Women's Legal Bureau, and mm -hmm. it is in charge of promoting and protecting women's rights in policy and in, you know, in training and in programming. After that, uh, I saw myself really working for women's empowerment and gender inclusion in different spaces. Then I was able to move to Hong Kong and run an organization called Enrich, and it provides financial education and personal development trainings to migrant domestic workers, both Filipinos and Indonesians primarily, because that's majority of the um, population of domestic workers there. And that led me to really, you know, focusing and understanding the core need to promote economic empowerment because mm -hmm. from the different work I've seen, there's just so much potential when you allow and when you provide women the economic access and the economic means so they can decide for themselves and really also make their contribution, not just for their family, but also in the communities that they belong to. And yeah, 
that actually led me to taking on work and doing research for Makati Business Club, which also brought me to, you know, um, participating and, you know, doing a project with the Commission on Human Rights. But then UN Women um, launched this project and program, I think, two years ago on mm -hmm. economic empowerment, which is something that made me very, very interested and curious because I felt that really would be the ultimate way to be able to influence and you know share the lessons the experiences that i've had in the past couple of years and mm. so here am i promoting economic empowerment for women at the and women <laughs> that's really really cool um yes. would you say that uh the economic empowerment of women has changed over the the, the time that you've been involved like over the last 10 years has it improved well we could say yes, there's just a lot of, you know, different economic opportunities given and provided to women, mm -hmm. um, different levels at the local level, you know, the call to provide women livelihood opportunities so they could add to the income of the family mm -hmm. at the corporate level, the drive for more gender inclusive um, programming and diversity in different companies where succession planning and where leadership training are also offered and sort of geared towards ensuring that women are also at the table where decisions are being made. We've mm -hmm. seen great strides already, but we feel there's still much more we could do mm -hmm. in terms of really raising awareness and mm -hmm. letting and making people understand the real value of real equality and not simply a term that they would usually use or adapt to show that they are doing something. We yeah. feel there's still a lot of unconscious biases mm -hmm. happening and that is still keeping a lot of our women and you know girls um, limited in terms of what they could do and what they could take part in and what they could accomplish work participation or the gender labor force participation still very far from equal the yeah. pay gap is also still something we need to be working on the mm -hmm. unpaid care work burden of women is still something that's weighing them down mm -hmm. and there's a lot of you know possibilities and different work and action that different groups and companies could also do to address that but that's mm -hmm. not being addressed because we are just made very comfortable with the fact that whatever happens, women will be there to take care of the children, to yeah. take care of the elderly, whether you have facilities there, wh whether you have daycare centers there, women would always try to step up and do that while trying to also do productive work that should and could, you know, add to families' income too. Yeah, so it's like they're doing double work in some it sense. It is multiple, multiple work, um, not just, you know, the work that gives them pay, but also the work that needs them to care for um, their children, their elderly, their partners, their community, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everything else. Yeah, I mm -hmm. see. Yeah, it's very interesting work, definitely. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what's the mission, the overall mission of UN Women and uh, We Empower Asia? Yeah, well, the UN Women is 
the entity for the United Nations in charge to promote and really work towards achieving gender equality within the mm -hmm. UN systems and outside of it. So mm -hmm. that means we need to be working with our colleagues at the different UN units and offices to make sure they are aware about how women are also affected and impacted by the different issues that you know is happening and that they are addressing. But mm -hmm. more so also for them to recognize what women could also contribute in solving these issues and problems. So we provide that guidance and we provide that information to them on how they could gear programming towards not just looking at women to be beneficiaries of the program, but also mm -hmm. women to really be contributors and stakeholders in the program that they could um, roll out or implement. At the We Empower Asia, it's really the program that at the moment focuses on women's economic empowerment. So there are four key thematic areas that the United Nations Women is working on. First is the women in leadership and governance, where we say we would want to see improved systems and processes of governance where women could benefit and contribute to. Second is addressing gender-based violence and eliminating violence against women, mm -hmm. which is something that the United Nations Women has been known for the mm -hmm. longest time because yeah. that's where we see a lot of campaign and a lot of work being done to raise awareness about why violence against women should not be happening and why it is something we should all care about. Mm -hmm. The third area is on women's women peace, security and humanitarian work. And mm -hmm. this is where women are seen to also be part of the peace processes. We support and we find ways to really build up the confidence to make sure women would take on leadership roles in different peace processes in their communities. Mm -hmm. And last is the economic empowerment where we would want to see women's increased economic participation and um, income and financial security. So the We Empower Asia program that I am managing at the moment is linked towards the thematic area of economic participation. The program itself would want to really do three main goals. First is to um, how do you say, influence and make sure that the policies in place are gender responsive and inclusive, which would mean looking at and reviewing different, you know, work-related, workplace and um, business-related policies and how that is blocking or facilitating women's participation. Second is also encouraging and making sure that women-led and women-owned enterprises are able to really be supported or receive the support that they need, which is something we still need to be working on because at the moment we know that it is very challenging, especially during this time of COVID-19, how to, you know, grow the business or even ensure that the businesses would survive, but we've seen how difficult it is for a lot of women business owners to also access financing, additional capital, and yeah. that's what we want to sort of push and remind everyone that women are also um, intending to build and rebuild their businesses and they would need the support that, you know, they need 
to push this forward. And last is what I mentioned to you, really encouraging different private sector groups and companies to adopt the women's empowerment principles because it really is the first framework uh, that the United Nations Women together with the United Nations Global Compact have promoted and adopted since 10 years ago to encourage businesses to adhere to certain, you know, to, to seven principles that would allow them to promote and really adapt a gender inclusive and responsive programming within their companies. Because what we say is it's not really just a moral responsibility. Promoting gender equality in businesses and companies is already is also good for businesses. And that's what we want to start, you know, sharing and conveying to the different companies and organizations too. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess what you mentioned before, giving women the, the confidence um, to believe that, for example, they can take leadership positions because I guess some of the time it is very gendered or they have an idea inside their mind that, oh, I, I'm just a woman. Sometimes I can't achieve these high aspirations of becoming a CEO or having my own business or something. And then, yeah, it's really good that they that there is an organization working to improve those things. Um, yes. So I can see that the specific SDGs that you work with are SDG 5 and, and 8, uh, 5 on gender equality and 8 on decent work um, yes. um, and why is it that that it's why is it that it's important for women to uh, to have gender equality why for the economy for example well because women hold half of the sky and if we miss out on supporting and harnessing the women's potential we are missing out on such a huge resource not just missing out on a resource but also if we will not be mindful about the situation of women in all of the different work and programming that we would do, hoping we want to support and make sure that our community, the whole of society is able to progress. And we, if we are not mindful about the situation of women, we are missing out on half of the population we intend to serve and support and mm -hmm. truth is um, the SDG number five though it's really boxed in just number five we mm -hmm. want to see that in all of the different 17 SDG goals there is gender equality because mm -hmm. there's work and there is also opportunity for women to impact and to do work you know to do and benefit from all of the different goals that we would like to achieve and um, see happen in yeah. hopefully 10 years time because we you know the time is clicking um, and we have only 10 years to see and show how much of these commitments we could really meet and we could accomplish and that's not something one organization could accomplish we know and we believe that there's just so much opportunity in terms of working together and understanding where we could add to each other's strengths instead mm -hmm. of trying to you know, box each of these goals in one side in, in different silos and mm -hmm. there's a lot of work to be done. So yes. Yeah, there definitely is. There definitely is. Yeah. Um what would you say are the biggest challenges to achieving gender equality in the Philippines? I would say it's the I would say it's still 
mind frame. Mm -hmm. It is really what, you know, what we all grew up with to believe that women are not expected to do any other things but to look after their family. And second is really the lack of um, proper systems to make sure we are able to count and we are Mm -hmm. able to recognize and acknowledge the work that the women does and how women could change and contribute to the different important aspects of you know development in the philippines because again it goes back to the belief or into the notion that we are not anyway part of the equation for the longest time and why Mm -hmm. should it matter now but uh, we are very hopeful um in terms of how different agencies and different partner organizations are really able to push it through Mm -hmm. uh, the philippines has been very consistently ranking in terms of gender equality index in the world economic Mm -hmm. forum and the, the government is very conscious and very aware that there has to really be more affirmative actions in place to push it forward and really accomplish it. But I don't think there's, you know, there's no overnight pill that could accomplish that. So we need to continue and we need to really push more to change mindsets and to really um, raise the level of awareness of not just, you know, people in the community, but also people um you know in the highest ranking roles whether that's in the company or that's in the government agency mm-hmm. yeah have you so so you mentioned the government agency have you been cooperating for example with any institutions in the philippines on how to achieve uh sdg5 and sdg8 for example yeah well the philippines has been one of the very first countries who's adopted and promoted the institutionalization of the National Machinery on Gender Equality, which is the Philippine Commission on Women. Mm -hmm. And um, the Philippines has also enacted the law called Magna Carta for Women that really is like the law that carries and um, spells out in detail how we can ensure gender equality happens in all of the different, you know, government agencies and offices. So we are in touch and we are working with the Philippine Commission on Women on different levels, on on the policy level where we support and want to try understand the different priority legislative agenda and areas that we could offer support on and also really engage them in different conversations and discussions where we host and get together different groups, different advocacy groups into a dialogue so we could really learn, exchange and hear from each other different issues and concerns that we need to resolve before we are able to move things forward and really advocate for specific changes in policies and programming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, can you uh, tell me a bit more about some su- successful projects that you've had um, in the Philippines? Well, the program of We Empower Asia has been like here just for one year. Mm-hmm. 
but it is very we're, we're very happy to see how it is well received by different stakeholders yeah. and how we are able to re really you know make use of the program as a platform to convene different groups and organizations where yeah. for you know for the longest time who were not able to see or meet each other for example women from business communities and women from different high-ranking roles in corporate organizations mm -hmm. then women from the rural areas women from the informal sectors women from the ip communities women um, working with the elderly so mm -hmm. the program is able to really you know open up a venue for conversation and for them to hear about each other's work and issues. And mm -hmm. it really is like an eye-opening opportunity for everyone involved, understanding and seeing, oh, so women from the corporate organizations, even though they are paid high, they are given so much benefits already and good packages, they still mm -hmm. are experiencing discrimination. They yeah. still have struggles um, similar to the struggles of women in the informal sector and women in the rural areas. Very mm -hmm. different in terms of setting, but mm -hmm. still the notion of, you know, how women are treated and discriminated, there's mm -hmm. still some semblance of um, similarity in terms of experience, how they are not given the voice or the right voice to air their conditions and situations. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that's one, uh, really making available a platform for different women's groups and different stakeholders to come together and convene. The second is, uh, well, working with different companies or private mm -hmm. sector groups. And it is very exciting, especially on my part, to be able to promote and, you know, raise awareness of different level of company executives, middle managers, and see how the potential of making them more aware about how gender blind or how gender uh, irresponsive <laughs> their you know, their policies are could immediately shift to yeah. opening up doors okay. for women and okay. also addressing or tackling, for example, sexual harassment in the workplace, ensuring that there's a safe and, you know, um, fair workplace in, in, in different companies. So mm -hmm. that's second. And third is really opening up the avenue for women entrepreneurs to learn more about how they could really embrace and own the businesses that they have and recognize it as something that they operate and that they could you know support other communities with mm -hmm. not just themselves because there's this often belief for a lot of women, not just in the businesses, but in the private sector too, that the work that they do is just pandagdag or just to augment the income of the family. Mm -hmm. So now we want them to shift that into thinking, I am contributing and there's value into this work. And mm -hmm. this work that I have adds value, not just to my life, to mm -hmm. my family, but all of the different other people involved in the work that I'm doing, especially in the businesses that they are doing. So yeah, that's, um, I think that's where we want to see more happening in the next 
couple of months and we want to also be able to have a stronger relationship with if with this stakeholders moving forward yeah yeah so you mentioned that you that you for example you you engage in dialogue with private businesses uh so they are they mostly supportive when when you for example tell them that oh your policy on gender isn't really equal so do they listen and change after you mention it well we have not gone to really reviewing their policies but at least providing them examples of how they could make their policies more gender responsive yeah it is very well received and with covid-19 we mm -hmm. really thought it would it would be a great opportunity for us to remind them that while you are all thinking about how you could you know recover and bounce back from the mm -hmm. impact of covid-19 would be best for you to start also thinking and mindful about incorporating you know gender equality and gender responsive work into mm -hmm. the plans that you have so it has been well received the different discussion series that we've organized in the past mm -hmm. couple of months was really well attended and mm -hmm. CEOs, managers have participated in those conversations. And we look forward to really following up by having more longer conversations with them about making sure they are aware and they are able to really understand how and what gender responsive policies would look like and could mean in their specific businesses. Okay, I like that because I, I think I read some time before that women, they are often employed in unstable positions. So they are often the first ones to, you know, be laid off when there is a crisis. Um, so, so yeah, has it been like that in the Philippines that they are? Yes. Yeah. And the, the, the COVID-19 situation, the pandemic has really surfaced that how much you know, um, women is overly represented in all of the different insecure sectors mm -hmm. and businesses. Well, that's tourism, that's service industry, that's retail work, and mm -hmm. in the informal sectors, women are overly represented too. So they are the very first to be affected, they're the very first ones to be closed down, and mm -hmm also the very first you know group to really be offered the part-time work or less mm -hmm. hours of work even if the requirement for the income stays the same and it actually yeah. even higher because there's just so much to think about and to to you know to secure for your family but we hope that that could really change with different dialogues and conversations moving forward with all of these companies. Yeah, yeah, that that would make sense because they are like often typically uh, the first the first ones to be laid off and it's unfair for women if they have the same qualifications. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, um, what yeah. we're seeing is a lot of them are really being laid off or being deprioritized, especially mm -hmm. when they have children or where when they're when they are about to give birth no. and actually it is not just um companies and hr groups it is also the women themselves trying to take a step back when it's mm -hmm. time for them to really look after their kids and their children so we feel there's there should 
be a way to address that. And it cannot always be the burden of women, especially so if they have all of the potential, they have all of the different skill set needed to really make it to the top, but mm -hmm. they on their own would hold back because of you know expectations and because it's difficult for them to manage both at the same time so yeah yeah, yeah. and also because i guess they if they if they choose to go choose to uh, to stop working themselves or if they get laid off they become more dependent on on the on the husband or the partner uh for them to provide and that can also have a, a toxic um impact i i would assume um, did, did COVID-19 uh, hit impact women in any other way um, or their economic empowerment? Yeah, oh, mental health and wellness. A lot of the women really are struggling to make sure they are well placed to support and, you know, protect their children and, you know, those under their care not to contract the virus that mm -hmm. they on their own are really suffering already but they need to make sure everything is in place and properly sorted out before themselves and um, mm -hmm. we we also have seen rising cases of domestic violence mm -hmm. being reported but not addressed because institutions are not able to tackle them since yeah. the approach at the moment is stay home and you cannot go and report and yeah. that's very tricky so we see women locked up in their households with the perpetrators or abusers in the same household mm -hmm. spending so many hours of time together mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. just yeah it's really very toxic. challenging yeah. and toxic yes mm -hmm. definitely. and i guess it is low, like low on the priority list because, yeah, COVID nineteen is taking the priority. Um, so yeah, and really teaching as well with, with with the setup of you know home based schooling for almost everyone. Well, mm -hmm. in the Philippines, it is because mm -hmm. schools are not yet allowed to open, and everyone has to really be on the computer or on at home to tackle modules. Who's expected to be doing and assisting the kids in their yeah. studies? That's additional burden for the mothers, and that's a lot. That's a lot to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it definitely is. Mm -hmm. um, so um, so uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you and women they how you work to uh, ensure uh, decent work and income security for uh, for women in the Philippines? Well, at the moment, really, what we're doing is reviewing different policies and how these policies still adhere to ensuring that the decent work and economic security is provided to not just a general population, but also mindful about the situation of women. We mm -hmm. want to review how the policies, especially right now, would mm -hmm. be made relevant with the given situation that mm -hmm. work from home arrangement is almost being normalized mm -hmm. and how and what kind of support could women get with such huge responsibilities to be doing work for their companies and work for their families both at the same time yeah. so that's where we are reviewing mm -hmm. that and trying to also 
make our policymakers aware about how we need to nuance and how we need to highlight this changing times in terms of policies, in terms of access to resources and access to financing and capitalization, we mm -hmm. hope to really, you know, engage with the financial institutions to understand mm -hmm. how to better sensitize or how to, you know, get their policies or their programming in place in terms of prioritizing or mm -hmm. making sure that they extend extra support for women business owners and uh, women who are supporting a lot of different communities in the rural areas and sector. Mm -hmm. So that's about mm -hmm. it in terms of policies, but in terms of programming, we really want to be a platform to mm -hmm get together different stakeholders that promotes income and economic security for women. Mm -hmm. We cannot and we do not see UN Women offering jobs, offering businesses and financing businesses, but mm -hmm. we see that the role to convene is already a big one to really make sure we are able to acknowledge and identify different stakeholders who could work together to see and make it happen. Yeah, definitely like uh, creating awareness. Uh, what you said before with with these different uh, women coming from all kinds of different income classes, getting together and then sharing their perspectives. And then they realize that, oh, we're actually kind of uh, experiencing the same impacts. Um, yeah, really like that approach. Um, yes. And we um, want to continuously do that. Uh, we see that there's really value to having conversations on a regular basis, whether that's about experiences, that's about projects, that's about programs, that's about understanding how you're differently impacted compared to us at the rural community or at the IP communities and mm -hmm. the women in the business community. And you would see how you know, they would appreciate each other after that. So yeah, would like yeah. to host more of that in the future. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. I also like the the, the um, topic that you were talking about earlier with the financial inclusion for women. Um, I wrote my bachelor's thesis on uh, remittances and um, really? yeah, um, and in the developing country. So Vietnam and Bangladesh and then I said that if you have good investment levels or if you have good institutions that teach you how to invest you will be able to uh, you know maybe set up a shop when you come back from the country that you were uh, working in and then you would be able to maybe employ other people in your community and then that would help alleviate poverty in some way so I really like that idea of especially since it's women uh, uh, definitely in the Philippines a lot of the women are overseas workers yes. um, so yeah making them financially li literate um, could really be like a huge boost for for the economy um, yes. and it's sad that a lot of people don't really realize that or take it into account um, true true yeah um, can you uh, please uh, shortly explain why uh, for example, Filipino women, they migrate to other countries and what kind of jobs they take when they go to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, 
first because opportunities here are not enough and with the kind of work that they are so used to doing mm -hmm. it is again like the stereotypical role or expectation that women are very good at caring women are very good at keeping relationships women are very good with establishing that kind of link and looking after different families so mm -hmm. women mostly you know are employed as domestic workers abroad yeah. that you know um that would be in the middle east that would be in um hong kong singapore and different other places when mm -hmm. you professionalize that they are nurses they are yeah. caregivers they are in the healthcare industry which is also something linked to care work and mm -hmm. health services industry in the hotels they are the ones really offering assistance and guidance and you know in the hotel um, industry and service industry but mm -hmm. primarily uh, we see that women are highly represented in the domestic and the care work industry and that's i think where we could say it is exporting the care and the care work that women done monetizing that instead of them staying home and mm -hmm. looking after their family if they could mm -hmm. earn money from it and be paid more than what their partners are paid or receiving with the kind of work that they are doing here they would yeah. take that chance and the very first batch of you know women migrant domestic workers in the philippines were teachers because teachers mm -hmm. <clears throat> at least historically like for example in hong kong when hong kong opened up their economy they wanted to have um care workers or domestic workers who could look after their children who could speak english very well <laughs> and english is like almost second language to the filipinos and a lot of english teachers were first batch of domestic migrant workers in in hong kong because of that and we are seeing, you know, generations and generations of um, migrant domestic workers moving mm -hmm. out uh, and, you know, working to to do that for other families in different places in different countries too. So yeah, it's very typical that that the Filipino women they take these kinds of jobs. Um, yeah, even doctors in the Philippines they would move to, you know, to the United States or to Europe to be healthcare assistants to be mm -hmm. nurses because if they would calculate how much they could earn forget about the license forget about the training because they would earn times four times five of what they're earning in the philippines yeah. so it's if it's money or income that you're after it's like almost a no-brainer for you to choose that path to yeah. really and very well, we, we could see or we've seen some who were able to break that after really taking on the, the menial jobs or the sub jobs or sub professional jobs from what they are meant to be doing. They're able mm -hmm. to push through and we hope to see more of that and we hope that we could really show the different other professionals out there how they could break that barrier and take on those tasks that could be, you know, taking on and doing and attending to different trainings and education, mm -hmm. making sure that they could also earn licenses so they could practice their profession mm -hmm. in the countries where they are in and 
there's just so much possibilities, but we hope that really they take time to also think about investing in themselves because mm -hmm. it's not just investing in tangible properties and money that you want in your bank account, but mm -hmm. what we want to also see is women taking time to invest in their in themselves in the in taking care of themselves and making sure that they're also seeing themselves growing professionally and growing where they want to do you know the capacity so they could do what they want to do and be what they want to be afterwards yeah yeah because i assume that a lot of these women they go out also to uh, to earn money to take care of their family like their parents or if they have kids they do that so they can, you know, bear sacrifice themselves in some way to to bear that burden. Um, but if they also take into account their own um, career development or their themselves, that would be really beneficial. Yeah, um, that's what we hope to see, you know, happen for the migrant workers and not just women. I would suppose for all of the migrant workers going out there. Mm -hmm. to understand and see how else they could really add value to the kind of person they are, not mm -hmm. just really seeing themselves to be workhorses, to work and work and work, earn mm -hmm. income and send to family and build this and that, but, you know, mm -hmm. not mindful about your overall goal and intention of what you want to accomplish as a person, because we feel that's also important. And we hope that we could see how, we could incorporate that in you know in the work and the advocacy that we could do to promote safe and fair migration in the philippines mm -hmm. as well yeah have you have you been doing any kind of uh, awareness creation on on these uh, kinds of uh, topics uh, well uh, the un women is also implementing a project with the international labor organization on safe and fair migration so that includes really highlighting the different you know vulnerable points or spaces where women could be victims of different schemes when it comes to recruitment and while they are in transit going to their host country and while in their host country so the work is really to raise awareness about the different facilities or the different organizations you could tap if and when you need it and also making them aware about their specific rights as migrant workers so that they are aware they shouldn't really be taking things that are not um, supposed to be happening to them the exploitative relationship the abusive treatment the almost slave-like treatment for migrant workers which is already something that is banned or not allowed anymore so that's where um, UN Women and ILO is working with and making sure that networks and referral mechanisms in the country and in those countries are also available. Yeah yeah because um, I've, yeah I guess there are these challenges for example I think it was in somewhere in um, in Southeast Asia, where some of these women they get they get killed, um, and there are other places where they, as you said, they end up in like slave uh, slavery conditions, where their uh, personal papers are taken and then they can't leave and they have no money to leave. Maybe also, um, so that's a really 
yeah, it's very problematic. But it's good that you teach them their rights so they um, at least have an idea of how they can stand up for themselves so they won't yes. as easily fall victim to those problems. Yeah. I think it's also working with different partner organizations to be able to do it because we cannot be in all of these spaces on our own. Mm -hmm. So it's important to really have and, you know, um, sign up different partners who are there in the space already and working to make sure they are able to expand the work they do and scale up in the work that they offer. So really it's a lot of coordination and you know partnership work that we need to be doing but yeah I, I think that is the way to go to be able to handle and tackle this very complicated issues of work and migration as well yeah yeah because you can't really stop them from going out when as you said sometimes they will earn four or five times more so it's, it's even really if you ban it like um classic example is in the Philippines it's very popular to have this marking in the passport um passport not valid for travel to a specific country uh -huh. because it's very problematic it's um very dangerous mm -hmm. but you would see groups and troops of Filipinos converging and finding ways and illegal channels to if you may call it that, yeah. to be able to go there and work there because yeah. there's demand and we we have the supply mm -hmm. and that's income for them and that's financial support and financial security for their families. Even if they are, you know, they are asked to go back and, you know, go to the embassies or report to the embassy so they could be um, repatriated back here in, you know, in, in the countries where there were, how do you say, wars or conflicts mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. would put them in danger. Some Filipinos would really intentionally hide or move away from, you know, from, from, from the setup where they would need to be picked up because they want to continue with their work and they want to continue supporting their family. And they would take that chance. They would take that risk rather than going back in the Philippines and um, risking not to have anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for the family. Yeah, and I guess it's also with COVID, um, a lot of the of the jobs that people that of the overseas Filipino workers, um, they lost them because it was you know nursing or elderly care, some some jobs that could be easily cut off, um, and then they were stuck in some of these countries. No, the nursing and the healthcare work, I think, is intact. Um, they are pretty much in a very good position right now because it's in demand. And even, mm -hmm. even some who are not practicing already are able to secure some additional or part-time jobs for the care work to look after in, you know, in the caregiving homes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But those in the tourism and in the retail industry, uh, mm -hmm. the hotel industry where a lot of women are, the service industry, so that's the hotel, and then the retail, meaning the mall, or the sales, you know, the sales role that they would have are all gone. And mm -hmm. that's um, problematic. You see also seafarers in different cruise ships coming back because 
not allowed to sail. So what could they do? So yeah, they all need to be brought back home and find different other opportunities for them to survive here. So mm -hmm. very challenging, very challenging. Very challenging, I see. Um, how do you see that uh, that your work and the work of uh, We Empower Asia will help uh, the Philippines in the future? First is really, you know, make companies aware about the value that women bring to the companies. So we see more companies more sensitive and responsive to the needs and the, the situation of women so that you get to have more companies really making way to accommodate and allow for more women workers to thrive in the workplaces. More companies to also be mindful about the suppliers or their value chains more yeah. companies aware that they need to also make a statement about making sure that the sources of their goods mm -hmm. are sourced and are secured not through any exploitative means but all through ethical responsible business conduct um, processes mm -hmm. and that's where we want to also put our weight in because we feel that when companies are able to adopt the principles that is, you know, um, outlined in the women's empowerment principles, they would mm -hmm. be made aware and they would be also made to look at and review their value chains and their marketplace and how they are able to also review the impact that they have in the communities where they operate. We mm -hmm. want to see that this is going to be a program that could make more companies be accountable mm -hmm. not just to their stake not just to their investors mm -hmm. and the business owners but also to the community they belong to and to the employees that they have within the company because we want companies to be mindful about the role that they play not mm -hmm. just for the economy but for also the society as a whole Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah. definitely that that these companies they have they should think that they have more stakeholders than just investors and and maybe the employees back in the headquarters that they also have the local community that they're um, gathering employees from and that they should make sure that it's improved and empowered. Um, yes. that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, okay. and we want to really make sure that they are mindful or aware that you know where they are sourcing their supplies and the materials because it could really be through exploitative means and exploitative relationships that their suppliers mm -hmm. are having with the communities where, for example, the wheat, the coffee, the chocolates are sourced and whatever else. And that could mean, you know, getting child laborers or um, farmers and women farmers not pay the right price for the work and the produce that they do. So we want them to be also able to look at that and make sure they are making an impact, not just to the customers they want to serve, but also to the communities they would be giving livelihoods to. Yeah, and also ensuring the health and safety of their workers, that they're giving the, the right equipment, uh, I think I read uh, a case about uh, palm oil in Indonesia where 
they were um, they had to spread the pesticides and they had to do that every day, but they weren't given gloves and sometimes it would get in their eyes and it was horrible to, uh, to think of. Um, very so similar situation and very similar cases. Yeah, mining <laughs> industry, you know, you would get to see children in the mines and yeah, pesticides or farmers, very similar. So yeah. we want to be able to change that and we want to be able to line up, you know, partners and different companies who could really commit to these kinds of practices. Mm -hmm. and yeah, we want to see more of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because if there is just a few companies that commit to the women's empowerment principles, then the rest in that industry might be thinking, oh, we should also definitely do that. And then hopefully it will solve a lot of problems. And businesses have a lot of impact. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, can I can I um, finish off with asking you uh, if you have a specific uh, sustainable development goal that you uh, that you care a lot about? Personally, it's SDG 5 and SDG 8 um, mm -hmm. because I believe that when you provide the opportunity for women to really access and have their economic means, they're able to make a lot of difference, not just to their families, but the community as well. But mm -hmm. I want to highlight that also women needs to be able to look after themselves. And that would mean women being provided a space to grow and to also be, you know, to be supported with, with, different systems and means that they could really harness their fullest potential and not just be boxed into the thinking that we are women and we will get pregnant anyway. We will just be at home looking after our children. But if there are, you know, resources and there are systems that would be put in place for the mm -hmm. women not to think that they are the only ones responsible to look after their children and their family, then they would be able to really find other ways to develop themselves and contribute and, you know, realize their fullest potential. So, yeah. SDG five and SDG eight for me. I like that. Yeah. And that that women they don't forget themselves and that they kind of uh, see themselves as a human being instead of just labor or yes. instead of just a caregiver. A carer and caregiver. That's 